Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of a Trophy Life podcast. I'm your host, Bob Rathman, coming to you from Atlanta. And our podcast, as always, brought to you by Warner, the official sponsor of the Warner Ladder Naismith Coach of the Year Awards and the official ladder of professional contractors everywhere. Warner, the number one pro ladder. Step up your game with Warner. Go to stepupwithwarner.com to learn more. We've got a lot and a jam-packed podcast for you this week as we inch ever closer to the start of the college season for the men and the women. We'll be catching up with what's happening out west, particularly in the Pac-12, both on the men's side and the women. We'll be speaking with Krista Blunk and also with Dave Pash of ESPN. All that's coming up in just a moment. But first, our news and notes, presented each week by Jersey Mike's. And speaking of Jersey Mike's, the Atlanta Tip-Off Club announcing this week the top 50 girls high school watch list for this season's 2021 Jersey Mike's Naismith Trophy for High School Girls Player of the Year. Keep in mind the 2020 Jersey Mike's Naismith Trophy winner, Paige Bukers of Hopkins High School in Hopkins, Minnesota, is getting set to begin her freshman season at UConn in just a few short weeks. So congratulations to Paige from last season, and we look forward to the new season. You can keep tabs on all 50 of these young ladies on our website. You know that we are getting close to tip-off when the AP comes out with the preseason top 25, and they did that this week for both the men and the women. On the women's side, we send our congratulations to Dawn Staley and the South Carolina Gamecocks. For the first time in program history, they are the preseason number one. They garnered 29 of the 30 first-place votes. Stanford came in number two. They got the other first-place vote. The SEC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12, each with five teams in the top 25. As for the men, number one goes to Gonzaga. They had 28 first-place votes and just nudged out Baylor for the top spot. Baylor had 24 first-place votes. Number three, Villanova. Number four, Virginia. Coming up next, conversations with Dave Pash and Krista Blunk. But first, a word from Jersey Mike's. Good things come to those who wait. At Jersey Mike's, they also come to those who don't. Download our app, order ahead, and skip the line. Cut to the Chase by Jersey Mike's. Be a sub above. Krista Blunk, an outstanding player at Evansville, and we have enjoyed her work so much on the broadcast side, be it with ESPN, the Pac-12 Network, and Westwood One on the radio for the national championships. And Krista joins us to give us a preview on what's happening in women's basketball out west, focusing in on the Pac-12 with all those great clubs right at the top. They've got four teams in the preseason top 25 in the top 10. So let's check in with Krista Blunk. It's great to have Krista Blunk on the line with us as we talk about women's basketball out west. Krista, how are you? Bob, I'm doing great. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited. And it's, it's been such a weird year. It's hard to believe that uh, we haven't even gotten going sooner on hoops, but I'm, I'm ready. I've been diving into the research and I'm ready to get going. Well, we thank you, Krista, for all you do for us. Uh, you're on our board of selectors and, of course, a voter in Naismith. And we wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about what's happening out west. Um, you know, we, we have been watching, of course, the football story unfold in the conference, and everybody's worried about the uptick in the cases and cancellation of games. But, you know, we're going to have basketball, and it looks like we're going to have it in a couple of weeks. And 
as far as the Pac-12 is concerned, you've got uh, probably five teams that's going to be in the top 20 when the poll comes out. Uh, Stanford perhaps leading the way with Arizona and UCLA, all top 10 worthy. Uh, I know you're excited because it looks to be another banner year in the Pac-12. It really is. Uh, this is a, a conference last year that was kind of young. I, I really felt, other than a couple of teams, like in Oregon, that, that uh, lost three key players, uh, the rest of the teams were pretty young and, and incredible talent with their youth. And so uh, as excited as I was last year, I really believed that this year was going to be uh, an even more exciting year. And experience coming back, to me, is one of the most important factors for a team and obviously staying healthy that that's going to be the big one this year for everybody um but i i really do believe it's going to be a, a deep season this year uh and a lot and a couple of question marks and there's going to be a couple of teams i think that that maybe not everybody thinks about all the time but they i think they will be and, and there's going to be some good surprises too well you mentioned oregon and we can't begin without looking back for just a second about oh what might have been <laughs> Right. Uh, right. You know, it was it was tough. It was tough to see the season end uh, with the incredible group that they had winning the uh, Pac-12 championship, getting ready to move along and try to get themselves back to a final four run and a potential championship with Sabrina Inescu and Ruthie Hebert and uh, Satu Sabli, the, the big three. Um, and so they lose those three this year uh, after not being able to go that far. But um, it was really disappointing. And I know you see teams all across the nation. There would be some incredible competition for them. But I just truly believe that that group, uh, they really had not only those three, but what was guiding was to see some of the other players behind them starting to step up. Uh, you had a Taylor Chavez, Jazz Shelley, young players. Uh, but you also had Aaron Bowley, who was really starting to hit her stride. And those players were such a big factor for me. Good thing for Oregon, those players will be back. And then Kelly Graves has really lined up an incredibly good group of transfer players, as well as the young freshman group coming in. Well, you know, I was so you're so right about Oregon, you know, to lose the talent that they lost. But they're loaded. I mean, they've got so much depth. It's ridiculous. They are loaded. And, and depth is key, especially in a season where you're worried about people being as sick or injuries. Um, you know, they have one of the top, if not the top recruit classes with five five-star players coming in. But a big key, I think, this year is Sedona Prince. And she was one of the transfer players. She's six seven. She'll be a redshirt sophomore. She transferred from Texas. Sat out last year. And, uh, and also Taylor Mikesell, who played at Maryland, was a transfer. These are players that are going to be impact players immediately stepping on the court this year for Kelly Graves to go along with all the others that are going to be coming back that got the experience under their belts. You know, there's another team out there in, in that state uh, that, that gets overshadowed a little bit. And now, of course, the I Beavers. Did. But they're a top 20 team, and, and we've had our eye on uh, – this 6'4 sophomore, Taylor Jones, she might be the breakout star in the Pac-12 this year. You know, you've made a great point, Bob. And I, as I was looking through the teams, Oregon State is one of those teams that I don't think enough people probably are thinking about. They got upset last year in the Pac-12 tournament, not making it to those final rounds. And so, um, and they and they graduated an incredible player in Michaela Pivik, Cat Tudor as well, uh, Maddie Washington. They had a big group that left. Destiny Slocum transfers to Arkansas, and so you lose four seniors, um, but you have Taylor Jones, so impressive. You have Aaliyah Goodman back, 
And then it's a question mark a little bit as to the others that are going to step up, but it's the international players also that Scott Ruick has been able to pick up and talk about size. You're talking a Mitrovic at 6'9", Subasic transfers from Washington State, she's 6'4". There's hardly a player that's not over six feet uh, behind some of the guard play for Oregon State. And so I had them start as one of those teams that was going to maybe not be a surprise to everybody, but I think a lot of people are thinking about all these other teams before them, and I think they're going to do some damage. Crystal, let me get your take on in no particular order, but uh, Stanford, Arizona, and UCLA. Yes. Well, you know, we, we haven't officially gotten our preseason polls out, and it's, it's really tricky. One of the, the big factors that I look at is the experience that a team brings back. Um, for me, I think Stanford, and you can't look past an Oregon or UCLA, but Stanford to me has just the right amount of experience with young talent that got some playing time last year because an injury or two or three here or there, and suddenly young players were out on the court as starters. And so I feel like Stanford, a team that finished tied for second last year, could take the tournament, could take it this year. Um, but Arizona has their top three scorers back. Erin McDonald comes back for her redshirt senior season, Kate Reese and Sam Thomas. That trio is phenomenal. Um, they're right up there. And then you mentioned the Bruins. They only lose one player. So you want to talk about experience coming back. Uh, the leading scorer, Michaela Anenwede, she's phenomenal. Charisma Osborne played significant time in her first year last year. I love her play. And then they relied heavily on Lauren Miller and Natalie Cho. Cho, a redshirt senior, she transferred from Baylor. She was a big key for them in the Pac-12 tournament last year coming in off the bench. And so um, for me right now, Stanford's going to be my top team. Now, those final four teams, Oregon, UCLA, Arizona. Uh, but again, you can't rule out Oregon State. And I'll tell you another team to keep your eyes on, a couple of teams, USC, although they have some question marks, that do have Alyssa Peely back. But I think that Utah, they bring – they bring uh, four starters back from a season ago, and Lynn Roberts has done a nice job in recruiting with a, a freshman class, but their top three scorers are back also. They're trying to get over that hump and make it to that next level also. I mean, Utah's got one of the best point guards in the country. <laughs> oh, they definitely do. Brenna Maxwell, Drew Gilton, they both kind of share the ball, but Drew Gilton is a special, special player. Uh, and then they had Brenna Maxwell, one of the top recruits out of the state, or coming in last year into Utah. And so uh, Lola Pendande, a sophomore at 6'3", she's kind of that raw talent player that was a starter last year. Just getting that first year under their belts and now coming in as a sophomore uh, group, uh, they're really going to be fun to watch. Krista, one other team I wanted to get your take on, and that is a team that will probably be ranked when the polls come out, and that's Gonzaga. Where do you see them fitting into the Western picture? Well, they're picked once again to, to win the West Coast Conference, and for good reason. Their talent is is deep. Uh, they're hoping to win their 17th West Coast Conference Championship, and they'll, they'll have to do it behind Jill Townsend, but she's a senior. Uh, she was the West Conference Player of the Year last year. She is back, and then they also have another senior, a 6'3", Jenna Worth. The combo and the talent that they have, uh, just that length, that's just the kind of team that they are. They always have about a six-foot wing guard that can run, shoot the three. Uh, they, just, they have their depth, but they're going to run behind Jill Townsend and Jenna Worth. Uh, those two are pretty special. Another team in the West Coast Conference uh, to, to consider is BYU. They were picked second in the preseason. Um, they have a senior in Sarah Hampson at 6'7". But Paisley Johnson-Harding's also back, another senior. She led them in scoring last year. 
Uh, BYU's got some solid experience and depth also, and they're, they're going to challenge them. But right now, I think Gonzaga, they've got the target on their back. They're the team to definitely beat in the West Coast Conference. Krista, the Naismith voters who are listening to this, their heads are spinning now with all this talent that you've thrown at them. Uh, it's incredible. It's been so exciting, and I know you work uh, and have worked in the WNBA, and you see the talent that's coming in out of the teams across the nation that are going on to play professionally. And when, when you look at some of these players, and I'm talking about sophomores that were starters as freshmen, it is incredible to see the depth across the board from coast to coast how many freshmen can step into these big-time programs and start or come in off the bench and be the sixth player and make such an impact? Um, you know, we, we definitely saw it throughout the conference last year. I was so impressed. Again, fairly young conference last year, a lot more experience, but still young is the Pac-12 this, this season uh, coming in. And I see it throughout. The Mountain West Conference is getting better and better. Um, they'll, Fresno State, they're going to have a great team coming back. Boise State's going to be very young. They won their tournament last year. But these are teams you start to hear about over and over again um, that for, for many years uh, they were one team or no team into the tournament. And now we see – this youth that's just able to step up and play at such a different level. And it's just, it's really fun to watch. Well, Krista, we cannot thank you enough for taking time out to join us and educate us and get us all pumped up for the season out West. This is great. Thank you very much. Bob, thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm excited. And I'm, I'm happy that all these teams and conferences are going to be doing lots of testing regularly. They got to keep the players and the team safe and the coaches and keep them out on the court so we can have a, a solid season this year. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, that goes for the broadcasters, too. <laughs> exactly. Stay safe. Now let's get the latest on the men out west. And for that, we check in with ESPN's Dave Pash, one of our Naismith voters, who, of course, calls a lot of Pac-12 games out west during the winter with Bill Walton. My conversation with Dave. It is great to catch up with our good friend Dave Pash, a Naismith voter, and, of course, the great play-by-play voice of football and basketball for ESPN, the Arizona Cardinals of the NFL. Dave, it is great catching up. How are you, buddy? Always good to talk to you, Bob. How you been, my friend? Doing great, doing great. And thanks so much for taking time. We're excited here at the Naismith Awards. The basketball season is two weeks away, and we wanted to get a little uh, flavor of what's happening out west from you. Uh, and right on cue, the AP preseason top 25 comes out, and bingo, a team from the West is number one. The Zags are the preseason pick at number one. Of course, you can throw a blanket, I think, on the top teams right now with all that's going on. But the Zags are remarkable how they keep getting it done year after year. That is a, an amazing program. Yeah, it really is. I, I mean, I think the world of Mark Few, I think he's one of the best. You know, he's had so many opportunities to leave. But he's always said, I love Spokane. I love where I am. I feel good that we can recruit with the best. They've been able to do that. They have great players every year. They have a tremendous staff. And I, I think that, you know, they should be the favorite going into the going into the year. I don't think there's any question they're the number one team in the country, at least in my opinion. Your area of expertise, of course, is the Pac-12. And in the top 25 are three clubs, Arizona State being the highest rated, uh, the Ducks and UCLA also in that top 25. Um, I know you've been knee-deep in football, but you've got one eye on the hoops as well. What's your take in this early stage of November 
for Pac-12 basketball? Well, I think the conference is going to be good. And I think they were, they were going to be good last year had the tournament gone on. I think there were several teams that could have done some damage. I think that was, it was obviously unfortunate for so many people. Um, in terms of on the basketball landscape, I think particularly the Pac-12, because other than Oregon going to the Final Four in 2017, the Pac-12 has not had much success in the postseason. You go back to, you know, the year that DeAndre Ayton was at Arizona and, you know, they couldn't, and nobody could get out of the, get out of the first round. Um, and I think there were several teams that could have made a run uh, this past March. I think, you know, an interesting team is UCLA. You know, when Mick Cronin took over last year, they were awful at the beginning of the year. We had a game at Notre Dame in December we had them in Maui. We had them in December. So we had them a bunch going into conference play. And all of a sudden, January hit, and they were an entirely different team. And I think Mick is an excellent coach, does a great job there. And that that was a dangerous team to me because they were just hitting their stride going into mid-March. I think they could have won the Pac-12 tournament. I think they could have gone very far in the NCAA tournament. They do have a lot of pieces back, too. So uh, they may not be the highest-ranked team in the Pac-12, but that that's the one I probably have my eye on more than the others. I think Arizona State's got a lot of talent. Oregon always has talent. Bobby Hurley and Dane Altman are both very good coaches. But uh, to me, UCLA is the most intriguing team here coming out of the Pac-12 this year. You know, it's a sort of a buzzword, Dave, around sports these days about culture uh, and changing culture. But if one guy's done it, Mick has really turned that around at UCLA. And I think you'll see that, uh, to your point. Uh, this is a ball club that got a, you know, there's a little bump in the road there to start the year for him. But once they got rolling uh, pre-pandemic, they were an excellent team. Yeah, they were the best team in the conference, uh, which is crazy to say when you look at what happened to them in November, December, and even in early January. But their, their young guys got better. Uh, they are guys on that team that do have NBA potential that started to play like that. Um, it, was, it was really neat to see. You know, a lot of times you see a team in November, they look awful, and they did in Maui. They, they, they looked awful, and they don't get much better. A lot of teams just – you see them again in March, and it's the same thing. But, I mean, it was a complete transformation. And I think it took a while for them to get used to Mick and his style – but they bought in, and he pushed them. He pushed them physically, pushed them mentally. And, look, it's, that record that he had at Cincinnati and his success there was not by accident. That guy's an excellent coach. I know he wasn't UCLA's first choice. Everybody knows that. But, you know, I think Mick would tell you, who cares? I'm here now, and uh, he's going to – I think they'll still be able to recruit there. He's never had an opportunity to recruit like he will at UCLA. You can only get – you know, a certain number of great players at Cincinnati, a lot of those guys that you get at Cincinnati, you have to groom and develop. UCLA, you have to groom and develop them, but, you know, they're going to come in as McDonald's All-Americans. So, um, it, at the time, a lot of people said not a home run hire. You know, it's, it's the last guy they turned to, but, you know, maybe five or six years from now, we'll look back and say, boy, that worked out perfectly for UCLA. No doubt. Is there any chance you could move the tip-offs up to like six o'clock local because i tell you what brother back here in the east it gets a little late for the uh for the pash walton show yeah well you know it's it, actually a lot of our tips are six local um you know four television so nine eastern 
I know that's still it's still late for a lot of people. A game starts at nine and ends at eleven. So I know for a lot of people on the East Coast, you're 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 in bed. But I'm not saying you are, Bob. But there ain't a lot of people on the East Coast. No, I'm hanging with you. I'm with you because I I can't wait to see what's going to come next out of Bill Walton's mouth. What in the world is it like sitting next to him every night? It's interesting. It's definitely unique. Uh, it's it's fun. It's challenging. It's all the above. He uh, he 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 makes it fun. It's it's a unique broadcast. It's not for everybody. I think the biggest thing that uh, you know I try to do um, is make sure that we're documenting the game. Uh, and then also let Bill be Bill. But there, there's fine line uh, with, you know, knowing when to kind of jump in and stop Bill uh, and get him back to the game. And, and, you know, other times you just kind of let him roll. And some of that, too, is your production team and how you work with your production team on, you know, when's the right time for a Walton element uh, and when's the right time just to focus on the game. Do you have a crazy story for us? Oh man, I got a lot of them. Uh, I don't know where you want me to start. Uh, one of the, I mean, this, this is, I, I thought it, it's not like a, I mean, there's, there's a lot of crazy stories, but you know, we had Kareem, we have Kareem on probably once a year when we do a game at UCLA. And so last year we had Kareem join us and uh, our producer told Kareem that Bill will sometimes kind of box me out and elbow me. And so Kareem was like, what? And so our producer said, Kareem, you should do that to Bill. So Kareem did, and he, he and Bill were kind of exchanging playful elbows, and Kareem caught him right in the cheek, right under the eye. It was hilarious. It was a great shot of it. So I, I Googled a, a shot of, of Kareem when he was with the Lakers and Bill was with the Clippers, and Kareem's elbow was in Bill's throat, and Bill's eyes were rolling up in the back of his head. So I did a side-by-side. And texted both pictures to Bill and just said, some things never change. He didn't respond to that text. <laughs> oh, that is tremendous. Um, I, I do have to ask you, because it might be in my future, what's it like broadcasting games in the home office? It's, it's unique. It's, it's strange. It, uh, you know, it's one thing being down in the bubble doing some games there not being courtside, but being in a glass encased booth, some 20 rows up with no fans, that was odd. But to do it in your house, it, it goes to a whole, whole new level. But it, it seems like this is here to stay. This is part of uh, the future of broadcasting, uh, to be able to do games from your house or from the studio. So um, I'm starting to get used to it. You know, Mike Golick, who I do the majority of the games with, he's in Bristol and I'm in Phoenix in my house. So uh, it's different, but uh, I'm adjusting. As we knew that you would. You're, you're so good at what you do. Dave, thanks so much for taking time. I know it's a busy, busy time, but we really appreciate it. And, and we're ready for the basketball season. Come what may, and I know you are too. Thanks so much. Anytime, Bob. You got it. Well, Dave and Krista, thank you very much. We appreciate the insights. We'll check back in with you during the season, of course, to see how it's going. Before we leave you this week, we want to close with just a word about losing a dear friend not only in the game of basketball but to me personally and that is longtime Boston Celtic player coach and broadcaster Tommy Heinsohn who passed away on Tuesday you might be interested to know that Tommy Heinsohn is also in the college basketball hall of fame for his time at Holy Cross he became the Crusaders all-time leading scorer when he was in school and he played of course back in the 50s and he still ranks fifth in school history 
after all these years. Tommy, of course, an institution in Boston, playing with the legendary Celtic teams, then coaching the Celtics to championships. And he was around for all 17 because the last couple of years that they won it, uh, he was a broadcaster. For 39 years, he was behind the Celtic microphone. Tommy Heinsohn, one of the legends, and we will miss him dearly. He was quite a character. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next week from Atlanta, wishing you and yours safety and health. This is Bob Rathbun saying so long.